I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Line Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander, and today I had the pleasure of chatting with my man, J.P. Sears. Um, I first saw J.P. several years ago on the YouTube machine, and uh, he has the most hilarious videos about how to be ultra-spiritual. I would absolutely suggest checking this out ASAP if you want to laugh um, and poke fun at, at new agey, crunchy granola people, kind of like myself. Um, I think it's really important the way that he puts this information out into the world because by making fun of spirituality, by making fun of consciousness, he's actually disseminating this really fantastic message of how to be more yourself, how to be more genuinely spiritual, how to be more genuinely conscious, whatever the heck that means. In this conversation, we chatted about the value of a little pinch of narcissism. Is it all bad? Could it actually be a little bit of a beneficial impetus to make you get what you want to get out of this world? Um, We talked about self-actualization. We talked about all sorts of fantastic stuff in relation to getting to know yourself at a deeper level. I know the way that I'm saying this is probably sounding a little bit fluffy and new agey. I promise this conversation's hilarious. Uh, Super, super fun talk and uh, really important, really impactful. And at moments, I would venture to say it was profound insights into how to live in this body and mind. Borrowing a page out of Eckhart Tolle's dogma, uh, which I love his dogma. I'm actually pretty dogmatic about his dogma of be be present in the now, which just because we say it, I guess that means it's automatically true. It's glorifying this immature phase of psychological development as a very mature phase. Mm. Um, Oddly enough, that's a step in the right direction. Just living the path of self uh, of selflessness, I think, can be a very narcissistically motivated path. It's just I, I'm so narcissistic about not wanting to appear to be a narcissist that I'm going to uh, express my narcissism passively. Right. So I compensate in the opposite direction, but it's a narcissistic-based behavior. How good of a person am I that I give selflessly to everybody? Thank you, J.P. Sears, for uh, coming on. Uh, Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N, therapy.com. On there, you will find the blog. You will find hundreds of free self-care videos, functional movement practices and such. Uh, The self-care kit, a foam roller with a couple different size, myofascialis balls, uh, elastic band, decompress those joints, get your workout on door anchors and stuff so you can change all the blah 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 advertising is so annoying sorry for that and um there's some other stuff online courses and all that goodness thank you so much for tuning in here we go with the one and only jp sears align podcast 
Should I burn some sage before a conversation, do you think? Or what are your, what are your thoughts? You got any kind of ceremonies I, you do before sa- Sage isn't spiritual enough. I, I would have to burn something better to clear out the sage. It's such a low level of consciousness, that sage, I'll tell you. So is there anything in particular that you would like to chat about? I'm going to talk, uh, you know, I have like, I do research and things with people. I got legitimate notes. And if it's not on an iPad, then it's bullshit. <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, so, so this is, but this is, I figured for the sake of this conversation, I thought, I thought you'd appreciate this. And now I know that I'm, I'm wrong. Way yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know they still made paper. Right. Uh, but yeah. And I appreciate you asking. There's nothing in particular that's, I have a burning desire and I, uh, I honestly enjoy talking about it and I, anything and everything. I love spontaneity. Cool. If I know nothing about a, a, a given realm, I'll either be honest or I'll just make stuff up that sounds confusing enough that it must be true um, yeah. kind of thing. Welcome but yeah, to being I'm, an expert. Ex- say that again. I said, welcome to being an online guru or expert. <laughs> And I think the other ingredient of being an online expert is getting emotionally charged when someone disagrees with you. That's how that that's how you really know you're dealing with an expert. The Absolutely. degree of their emotional intensity in their words right. when you say something that doesn't uh, sound true to them. Right. That's important. Well, cool. We'll we'll span all of this, all of these emotional states. I'm sure during this conversation, that feels sounds. Good. That feels good to me. All right. Sounds awesome. And by the way, um, nice to meet you. And I appreciate you inviting me on to uh, be on your podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. I, so I checked. I'm pouring tea right now, by the way. I'm not just looking at my genitals. I mean, I am looking at my genitals. I'm not actually wearing pants. I never wear pants for these things. Um, yeah, I, I, same with me. I do the blue shirt routine. <laughs> the old blue shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Oldest trick. Uh, so, yeah, if at any point my eyes do start to, you know, gaze towards my pants, that's what's happening. <laughs> I actually have a mirror on the ground right now that I'll look down at sometimes. Yeah, that, it's self-awareness, really. That's all it is. <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. Um, so, we'll do a brief moment of silence. You can, you know, tap into a meditation or something while we do that. It's just be a couple seconds so that you should be good for the day. And then, cool. uh, yeah. And then uh, we'll go. Sounds good. JP Sears, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm going to use this previous portion of us talking because that was, that was kind of cool. So I don't need to do the standard, welcome to the live podcast, JP Sears introduction. Um, but thanks for doing what you're doing, man. I greatly appreciate that from the bottom of my heart um, because I've been watching your stuff for the last, I think like I got introduced to it a few years ago and it's hit home for me. Because my background is in all of the spirulina-infused, Lulu pants-wearing, like spiritual, ultra-spiritual meccas of the United States, being Hawaii, being Boulder, Colorado, and now I live in Bend, Oregon. And so what I witness a lot is people that are wearing the spiritual conscious badge on their sleeve. And what I see with that is I see a form of insecurity. You know, I see that you are attempting to fit this model that you may not fit into yet, but you're really trying to squeeze yourself into that box. And so I'm curious for you with your background, I wonder, is that where you came from with that? Did you feel like you had been kind of trying to put yourself into this conscious bubble until you realized finally, maybe I needed to not try quite so hard or how did it start? 
Yeah, well, I think you got my number, Aaron. For me, that's 100% true. Yeah, everything I talk about in my videos, it's all based on me. Uh, it's me kind of coming to terms with my insecurities that, as you pointed out, I would mask with the spiritual consciousness and, of course, my need to broadcast it through wearing the, the latest grass-fed pants or uh, sp uh, uh, snorting spirulina-infused cocaine, <laughs> whatever it was, and ma making sure to do more yoga and meditation than my friends. Uh, you know, those spiritual practices, I, I came to terms of asking myself, is that really about my spiritual growth connection and my self-acceptance, or is it actually a mask of my insecurities? And honestly, my answer was both. Right. I think they're very legitimate growth was happening for me. And it's like the shadow of that is like, holy cow, yes, I've got a lot of insecurities that I'm trying to mask uh, with the, the facade of being ultra spiritual. And and I, I'm, I'm definitely that insecure today. I think I'm just more secure with my insecurities that I'm willing to be at least a little more honest with myself about them. And through the ultra spiritual videos, I, I shine a spotlight on them and I kind of exaggerate them. And it's really my therapy. It's a way of me seeing what parts of me don't want to look at. Right. So for folks listening, I would absolutely 100% endorse checking the YouTube channel out. Same way I would endorse checking out Paulo Santo Wood. Um, no affiliation. But uh, check out the, uh, what is it called? Is it JP Sears Ultra Spiritual Channel? How do you call it? Oh, yeah. Awaken with JP. Just type that in on YouTube and you can subscribe. And um, trust me, I, don't, I, I get no paid endorsements from Awaken with JP. So it's a genuine uh, recommendation. Right. But yeah, I put out new videos every week, sometimes multiple times per week. So that's where you can find me and what I do online. Right. Yeah. So I was watching some, I was watching like how, how to be ultra spiritual, uh, ayahuasca video. I was a couple last night with my buddy and we're honest to God, hysterically laughing, man. So it's, it's great. Thank you for doing that. I always am curious with getting into stuff like that, especially like showing friends, like you show a friend a new song or something like that. And you're like, Oh, this is going to suck. Here we go. It's going to suck. They're going to judge me because I listened to this shit. And it was good. We laughed. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. So one of the things that I'm curious about is, is it, an, is it necessary to follow that struggle, follow that path of like trying to force yourself into this box of what you want to become in order to learn all of the, you know, the genuine, valuable lessons of that? Because I think oftentimes, you know, I feel like, I have been, I, you know, sitting on the beach, you know, meditating super, super hard, you know, and like really trying to extract answers from the universe or whatever, Pleiades. And I feel like that was a huge part of my development, actually. Yeah. You, you know, by forcing it, it was almost like I got to learn that lesson. And I, you know, obviously I'm still in the process, but I, I got a piece of that lesson of you don't need to force it. You know, it's like the pursuit of happiness oftentimes drowns out happiness, you yeah. know? And so do you think that, the, is it, is it healthy to force it or, or, or not so much? How do we, how do we evolve? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think our bowels have a beautiful lesson to teach us. <laughs> 
trying to force it, does it have its time and place? Absolutely. But when you go overboard, you get hemorrhoids. Mm -hmm. So I think that's nature's wisdom answering the question in a very crappy way. Yeah, I I do believe that, (laughs) that it's necessary to contract in order to figure out how to relax. And I think the contraction, the trying to force it, it's a necessary step of learning how to better relax and allow ourselves to blossom. I think uh, in the proverbial beginning of our journeys, a lot of times we are in the dominant state of let's make this happen, let's force it happen. And then eventually the old wise man inside of us or wise woman inside of us uh, takes over and starts allowing. And I think we go through micro cycles where we then go into force it, you know, trying hard. So, yeah, and then I think we can bounce to the other extreme where trying hard, that can work for us and then start to work against us. And then our method of trying hard is essentially we try hard to not try hard. Uh, we we try and be not super like aggressive, but ah, yeah, I'm totally relaxed, bro. Right. And it's, it's like, okay, now we're actually at the passive extreme where our bowels don't have any integrity to, you know, contract when we need them to contract. So, yeah, I, I think the Buddhists have it right. And just because I think they have it right doesn't mean jack. But my opinion is the Buddhists have it right that the place of balance is where we want to aim. And it's always between the two extremes, to be honest with you. And I don't think it's possible to be in balance without oscillating to the extremes. The question is, how long are we at the extremes? Are we stuck there? Are, is our dogma cementing us into the extremes of trying hard or trying hard to not try hard? Um, or are we kind of like Bruce Lee would say, we're like water where we can float in extreme a little bit, come back to our center, get out of balance, come back to our center. Right. I was reading recently in uh, What We Can Learn From Our Poo, uh, a book about <laughs> really valuable valuable information. And, um, it was, it was really interesting. It was, it was, it was referencing, or it was talking about if, if you get so stuck up in your lower intestines, generally poo doesn't start to form until it gets into your lower intestines, more digestions happening in your smaller intestines. And if you get so stuck up in there, you can actually regurgitate your fecal matter from your mouth. Very rare, usually necessitates a surgery. Can you derive any metaphoric value from, from that? Well, I think it was Mother Teresa who said, (laughs) all truths in life can be distilled down into poop analogies. If it it can't sync with a poop analogy, then you know it's not true. Right. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, that's That's what I was hoping you would say. Yeah. You know, Mother Teresa, she taught two main things, compassion and poop analogies. Right. (laughs) I've heard that. Uh, So... One of the things that um, I think it's interesting with people is like when life gets easy, when you start developing momentum, things get easier and easier and easier, you know, and sometimes it can feel like it's like the, the less you have, the harder you need to work, you know, and so oftentimes people are in these positions where it's like, that's great, you know, you have your passion, you have this thing that you're genuinely excited about. Life's fluid. It's no problem. People are paying you to do what you want to do. Like, how could you possibly have any complaints? 
How does someone that's in that position, oftentimes, you know, I call this like pretty girl syndrome. There's sometimes, you know, and pretty guy syndrome too, but I see it often, you know, because I'm observing women more often generally, you know, it's oftentimes the more beautiful, the sexier a woman is, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes, they will lack a certain like self-worth or self-value or like passion towards something. I think because with that scenario, you get, you know, people just pouring compliments and like, oh, you're, you're, you're fantastic because like your skin is so beautiful, you know, and I think it can almost be like paralyzing or crippling to people growing up with that. How does a person, and that's obviously doesn't relate to all women, please, you know, refrain from sending emails, hate mail about that. Um, you know, but it's something I, I, I've seen, you know, so how does a person from your perspective get started with finding what are they passionate about? Mm. That's a good question. I think looking at what doesn't work is a great place to start in order to figure out what does work. A lot of times we, you know, the let's go to the prototypical, you know, young man, young woman, they're 17, 18 years old, just out of high school and maybe about to go to college. So here they're at a time where they're allegedly supposed to know what they're passionate about before they've done that thing. Yeah, I, I want to be a doctor. I know for sure I'm, I want to be a doctor. You've never even been a doctor, so how do you actually know? So I think what doesn't work is believing that we should have a, a, an accurate premeditation of knowing what we're passionate about before we've test-driven it. What I've seen in my life, and, and um, I, could, I, I would dare say a common denominator in a lot of people's lives I've seen is there's a sampling that's necessary. Before we know kind of what taste, what passionate taste is most compatible with our palate, uh, we need to sample the platter of life. We need to do a little of this, find out what doesn't work for us to some extent, a test drive this. Maybe we're passionate about something for a little while, but that fizzles out, but that opens a door to something greater. So I think Knowing what we're passionate about has very little to do with finding our passion. I think searching for our passion, not just trying to know it, is really an important thing. And I think being non-attached is very important. An example, for me, when I was 18, 19, I was very passionate about being a personal trainer. By the time I was 22 or so, I wasn't passionate about that anymore, but that brought me, you know, I can look at the how the breadcrumb trail connects. That brought me to the door of emotional healing. I got really interested into you know inner health, emotions, the mind, spirit, by being interested in the outer health first. So if I if I wasn't willing to be non-attached to what I thought was my first passion, and in it, indeed it was my passion, it just had an expiration date on it. The non-attachment was necessary for me to graduate to a, a deeper passion. Um, and that's not to say that I, I didn't have separation anxiety disorder. Oh my gosh, it feels like the world's kind of falling apart as I let go of this attachment, my self-identification, my sense of self-worth, uh, my my 
uh, knowledge in the personal training world, yeah, very scary actually to let go of that attachment to graduate into deeper waters of passion. So what I'm 100% confident of is I didn't answer your question, but there's a little (laughs) thought splattered all over the walls for you. Well, so I think sometimes what can happen, you know, a little bit what you're what you're getting at is is like you know, to, like flipping the script or like like making this life change can be kind of scary. One of the things that I have a fair amount of experience with myself is uh, deciding that this place isn't working out for me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Cambodia, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like all these people, these people suck. You know, this is not, it has nothing to do with me. You know, it's like the, the girls aren't pretty enough. You know, the, the guys aren't smart enough and, and like, you know, whatever. It's just, I think that that's something that I've witnessed in myself. And I'm like, I'm like, what is this? Am I struggling? Am, am I trying to escape myself? You know, or like, so I'll end up buying a random ticket to, you know, Bogota, you know, and it's like, all right, here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to explore and find it out. And, and I think that that's, again, it's really developmental, that struggle, but and then at the same time, I think there is a level of escapism that exists in that. You know, so is there like a balance? You, do you have much experience traveling yourself? Do you feel like there's a, a balance with, you know, escaping reality and help you know, making a healthy decision to choose another path? Yeah, I think there's potentially balance. And oddly enough, I believe that escaping ourselves is. Uh, it's a necessary step to finding ourselves. I mean, you can't find yourself until you lose yourself. So, you know, when we look back on our yesteryears or actually what we're doing present day to escape ourselves, I think we're probably doing something. The question is, can we see it? So when we look at our escape attempts, uh, I think in a way they're, they're very appropriate for the present moment. Yes, it might ultimately be like a, a few footsteps away from ourselves because, yeah, these these mean people here, they're just, you know, no, nobody's here that's enjoyable to connect with. So we leave, but it's actually, as you're alluding to us escaping some part of ourself, which eventually allows us to come full circle back to ourselves. So I think it's got purpose. I think when we look back at it in hindsight, um, it's a little more tempting to look at it with judgment, like, oh boy, I was just escaping myself. And at the same time, that seemingly was a necessary step for me to take, or else I wouldn't have taken it. At taking it, I don't know how to what English is. First day on the language, that was German, I think. It, it, German, it's a lovely language. <laughs> German's the language of love. Is that true? I believe that's accurate. Hitler, so, Hitler, so, Hitler said that. I think. <laughs> Very sweet and poet, poetic he was. Yeah. Um, but you know, in. And uh, one other thought I have to throw at that is when we're doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, escape, 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 hitting the exact same eject button, moving from one place to the next to the next to the next, whether it's physically, career-wise, relationship-wise, once we've run that pattern 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, we can ask ourselves, okay, 
what am I trying, what result am I trying to get here? And is it realistic that on the 29th attempt, I'll actually get the result? Or am I likely going to experience the same level of eventual dissatisfaction if I just keep hitting the escape button? So, you know, if we're stuck in a trench of escapism, then I think being in the trench long enough for us to wake up to the reality that we're in a trench is necessary. How do we wake up from the trench? That's a good question. You know, maybe it's kind of like how we wake up to being in a jail. I think a lot of us were in jail. We just don't know we're in one. So we need to be in the jail long enough or in the trench long enough uh, for us to suffer enough to wake us up. I I hate to sound uh, too overly Buddhist, but I think suffering is pain is a great wake-up call. It's perhaps the thing that best gets our attention in life. Uh, Enjoyment, it's pleasurable, but it's not incredibly... Uh, you know, wake you up, stimulating, get your attention kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I I think some of us, uh, to some extent, need to spend enough duration at our rock bottom for us to accumulate the volume of pain necessary to get our own attention, to wake up to the rock bottom we're at, the trench that we're in, the jail that we're in. Well, so the interesting thing with that is I think that it's, everything's relative, you know, so I do movement coaching and and body work and blah, 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 you know, so I help people with moving better in their bodies, you know, and something that we notice with that is people will come in and the people that say they're fine, you know, and like their wife really thought they would be good for them. So they're going to come in and see me or whatever, you know, it's like, and they're just like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's good. It's good. It's good. You know, like that person has issues generally, you know, like the, the person that's like, everything's good. It's good. You know, it's like that slow, gradual sink or shift or drop or however you want to, you want to describe it. That is, that's trouble, man. That's the most insidious. That's the most painful. That's the one that's the most paralyzing in my experience. You know, and we see this, you can say, you know, if you're like, a, if you're into conspiracy theories and stuff, it's like the government, you know, is, is like the Patriot Act. They're taking our rights slowly. You know, it's like, I don't, you know, whatever. That's, people can have their opinion on, on, on our government and, and, you know, how they're conducting everything. But, you know, it's like that slow, gradual shift People don't mind working 60 hours a week. You know, people don't mind not getting paid enough in order to support themselves and needing to devote every moment, waking moment of their day, leaving their family every day, leaving any form of passion that they could have had every day in order to support this American dream. You know, or whatever dream. It doesn't need to be an American dream. This is, you know, all all throughout the world. People are sacrificing what they really, you know, their passion, what they really, what really makes you know, they're sacrificing that in order to keep on this train, you know? And it's like, I think what, what it is, is we need a shock, you know? And so sometimes you can get so low that the rest of the world's like, dude, you got to look at this. And you, and you have the opportunity. But I think oftentimes it takes the rest of the world to say, look at this. You know, but like, what about the people that it's that slow, gradual sinking to the bottom of the ocean? And then all of a sudden, you know, they're 65, 70 years old. And they're like, holy shit, my life is, you know, my, my skin's getting wrinkled up. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, how do we, how do we, how do we see this is happening? Yeah. You know, I, I won't pretend to have all the answers, at least just yet. I'll start that routine here in five minutes. Yeah, uh, we're the facade of the guy with all the answers. Right. But what, one of the things I like best about what you said, you use the word shock. And I, I think life provides those jolts. It provides plenty of shocks. The question is, how sensitive are we to them? I personally find the more our physical, emotional, mental uh, health kind of declines, erodes away, slowly sinks, the number we get. So the, the, the little shocks of life that, that get a relatively awake person's attention, well, when we're getting pretty numb, we don't notice those. And then we, we look at scary scenarios of how as people age, sometimes it's a, a life-threatening disease that's the necessary shock. I mean, that's a huge shock. Right. Or it's uh, their, their spouse leaving them. Or maybe it's the death of someone or uh, whatever it might be. And those are really big shocks. Yeah. And... You know, I, I I don't know the magic solution to how do we wake people up sooner. I think uh, part of the frustrating answer that I don't have is I don't think we can wake people up. Mm-hmm. I think all we can do is send out invitations to invite people to wake themselves up. And hence, I think... Uh, uh, conversations like this, right. uh, your podcast, I, it, hopefully to an extent my videos, hopefully those are invitations that invite people to uh, wake parts of them up. Right. Otherwise, uh, it seems to be that life will do them the uh, blessed curse of providing a bigger shock to them Right. Yeah. eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, that is the most important thing is like, sometimes you read a book, you know, you read a book five years ago, you know, it's like, whatever, I got spacious body here by Jeff Maitland in front of me. It's like, you read that book five years ago, you know, it's like, eh, whatever, eh, take it or leave it, you know, sure. because you weren't at a place quite yet, you know, where that book had real value, you know, but then it's like, it's, it's an interesting dance that we're doing of like, at what point does this information make sense? You know, and something that I think is really interesting that you mention is uh, self-sabotage. You know, and I think that we do that. Or it's this, oftentimes, I, I've witnessed this in myself a little bit, a feeling, for me, it's, I don't feel like I'm necessarily, I have this, this subconscious, you know, filing system, download processing chip that says, you know, you are blank. You're not good enough. You are, you're not ready for this. You are fill in the blank, you know, and then you put yourself into the, whatever opportunity or you don't put yourself into that opportunity, even though you tell the world, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm an, I'm, I'm a, you know, whatever it may be. And then when the opportunities come, you kind of let them pass by. You sabotage it somehow. You know, you're like, oh, I was sick that day. Oh, I, I had a, I had a date. It was an important date. I couldn't do it. You know, so how do we recognize that in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Self-sabotage. I mean, speaking of shocks, I think self-sabotage are 
the uh, the sacred shocks that life gives us to invite us to wake up. And I think there's two types of people in this world, those who self-sabotage and then those who are in denial that they self-sabotage. And, and to me, the greatest form of self-sabotage is not seeing how we self-sabotage. So I, I think a great question that I love asking people is, how do you self-sabotage? Not do you do that? Let's just pretend we know that at some level you do, whether it's behaviorally or more importantly, intimately. How do you self-sabotage within your emotions, your mind, your belief systems? And then looking at that, in my point of view, self-sabotage is never the issue. It's always a symptom. Uh, And I believe the symptom of self-sabotage always carries a very sacred message about ourself. Mm. Uh, uh, There's something about ourselves we're needing to get in touch with. Some call it a need that's not being met. We have the need. We don't know we have the need, and it's getting met in a very misdirected way. You know, I always fail relationships, and then I shame myself. So actually shaming myself is getting some kind of need met, whether it's a need for attention, a need for significance, kind of like the more I'm beat up with shame, the more I feel paid attention to. Not super functional and sustainable, but something a lot of us do. So looking at our self-sabotage, identifying how do I self-sabotage, and then searching the contemplative search of why. Why do I self-sabotage? How do I benefit from it? Uh, How is this actually serving a part of me and uh, most importantly, what's the deeper message about myself being delivered through the messenger of self-sabotage? Those are semi-easy questions to ask, very challenging to answer, but I think it's a very worthy challenge for us to take on. Otherwise, we have no choice but to go even number to our self-sabotage. If we're not doing something to address it, then the only way we can bear being in our, in our lives with it is to go numb to it, become less sensitive to it. Right. So then, of course, life needs to amp up the voltage of shockwaves. Right. And that's something that I, I notice, you know, you, you, you reference like being numb or, you know, not being, not being, not being able to feel your feelings. You know, I think there's, there's the things you don't know and there's the things that you're, the things you know, you don't know and the things that you don't know, you don't know. I'm curious, one of the things as well that, you, that I, I saw with an article that, or maybe it's an article or a, a podcast or something, but it was uh, making real friends. You know, one of the things that you had, uh, a question that you had, it was on your YouTube channel, I remember now. One of the questions that you had was like, how do I make real friends? You know, is because I feel like they're always, I'm always being used or I feel like I'm always being, you know, whatever. You know, but they're not real friends. They're using me somehow. And I keep perpetuating this same rhythm over and over again. And your response to that was, was be real, right? And then it was a lot longer than that, you know, but like, my, my question with that is kind of getting back to a similar question again. It's like, what about the people that are so turbulated by all these peripheral influences that they don't know what the heck real is? Is real my Gap jeans? Is real my Arbor shirt? Is real my job? Like, what the hell is real? Yeah. <laughs> well, 
here's my most real thought about what's real. I think this is where the wisdom of connecting to our feelings comes in. You know, the old saying that's probably overused, but I'm going to keep using it. The body doesn't lie and our feelings come from our body, or at least they come through our body. And I, I think our feelings are some of the most real, authentic uh, experiences of ourself that we can connect with. You know, our gap genes, are these real? Well, uh, maybe not. Uh, it's very easy to just switch a brand of jeans. Oh, now I wear, I don't know any other brand of jeans. So, but you can <laughs> imagine if I, if I did know another brand of jeans, insert that brand here, now I've just switched what's real for me. with. So, but paying attention to our feelings helps us connect, I think, with the most significant source of realness there is. Uh, Carl Jung, back in his days, said, in his opinion, our feelings are the language of our soul. Mm. And I believe, as a whole, we are incredibly disconnected with our feelings. I mean, obviously, numbing out, dissociating through technology addictions, substance addictions, exercise addictions, being addicted to being sedentary. I think all addictions are symptoms of the real issue, which is we're invested into not feeling how we actually feel, uh, which I think means if our feelings are actually the language of our soul, I would go out on a limb and say our soul is really what's real about us. It's where our authentic self comes from. So when we're getting more and more out of touch with our feelings, I think we need to notice that and do our best to find something that we actually feel. And I'm not talking about conveying concepts and thinkings through a feeling language. Yeah, I feel that the Republicans are jerks. Yeah, that's not actually a feeling. I'm talking about like emotional, actual feelings. And I, uh, on that note, uh, one of the themes that I think is, you know, the backbone, or at least a vertebrae in the backbone of the ultra spiritual uh, videos that I do is a lot of the what I would call the the superficial new age movement, superficial spiritual movement, a lot of it's based on disconnecting from our human feelings and glorifying it. You know, step into your power and be great and be happy. Ah, okay, I'll do that at the expense of disconnecting from my true self and all of my feelings. So I think that's one of the challenges. Uh, we're, we're inundated with a lot of justifications for why not feeling feelings is actually a good thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, if you feel unhappy, if you feel sad, well, that's bad. You need to just be happy. Here's a book of positive affirmations for you. Well, what if being sad is actually what's real for us in that moment? So, I think we we really need to honor the unintellectual wisdom of our feelings. I think it's what makes us most human, and I think that which makes us most human is that which makes us most spiritual, uh, where our realness comes from, according to my delusional opinion. Right, delusions are great. Um, I feel like, and that's the way I feel every time I see someone walk into my, into my office. 
You know, it's like I, I project all this crap on them. You know, I try to project as little as possible. But it's like, oh, I see your hip, you have anterior rotation, you have a valgus, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this is probably in relation because you work at that office job. And it's like, we create all these stories. Think, oftentimes it's our own crap coming up and us projecting it on other people. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty interesting dynamic with that. Um, I had a question. I don't remember what it was. I, has, I was like ready. It was like it was going to be so good. <laughs> and now it's completely gone. Um, so you are scientifically proven to be, is it the most spiritual person in the world? Is that, is that true? Yeah, that's a fact. That's, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I'm glad that, I'm glad that that's, that's, that's true. Because I, that, I heard the rumors, and that was, that was a big part of why I wanted to get in contact with you. So I'm, so glad, I'm glad we worked that out. Absolutely. Yeah, it, there's been some studies done that have scientifically proven the spiritual proof for me being the most spiritual person in the world. Nice. Thank you for that buffer. I remember the question that I had that was, that was important. Um, <laughs> so what are the actionable steps for people to start to actually bring down the veil? You know, I think that it, something... Oftentimes, people like to dabble with is entheogens or psychedelics, you know, and you make, you know, a parody of, of ayahuasca. I, I'm curious of your thoughts on psychedelics. And then as well, you know, it's like meditation is a good answer, you know, that people like to go to a lot. You know, it's like, yeah. what are your thoughts as far as like, what can we actually do right now? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a first sort of disclaimer thought is anything we do to bring down the veil can become a practice of bringing the veil back up. In fact, originally, I think the, the practice for whatever number of weeks, months, or years, it's pulling down the veil. That same practice can then reach a tipping point where now it's bringing the veil back up. Uh, you mentioned ayahuasca, the parody I did on that, which is, in my opinion, that whole video using ayahuasca, it's about the shadow side behaviors of people using ayahuasca that I was exposed to when I was living in Southern California, which is you know, a little bit of a ultra-spiritual capital of the world, amongst other places. Right. And, and what I saw with a lot of people getting involved with ayahuasca and other psychedelics is some of them seem to have very genuine growth from it. Right. Like, ooh, seems like their veils being pulled down a bit, you know, from my perspective. And then they get addicted to the rituals of it. They get addicted to this crutch, this, this thing that's outside of me, this uh, psychedelic, this crutch I'm leaning on that helped my legs get stronger. I start getting addicted to using the crutch right. more and more and more, which events. So the exact crutch that allowed our legs to strengthen by using it now becomes a crutch that weakens our legs because we're overly relying on it. Right. So with that said, uh, I do believe meditation is a great practice uh, of helping bring down the veil. And I do believe when we get dogmatic with meditation, it's a practice that can start lifting the veil up for people. Um, it, you know, I, I'm not against anything. And, you know, I'm going to sound a little bit 
unattached to things here. I'm not really against anything like psychedelics, meditation, yoga, and I'm not really for anything. I'm a big fan of realizing that the path we take to find ourselves can and most likely will become the path that we lose ourselves on. Uh, I think anything has an expiration date on it. It's kind of like adopting the Buddha's wisdom of impermanence. This practice will work for me for a while. It too shall pass. If I try and make it permanent because it's familiar to me, I feel comfortable with it, I, I feel stable with it, then it can become uh, uh, a path of losing ourselves, right. I believe. Yeah, yeah. similar stories, you know, the, the person that they had to get across the river, right? And so they, they're like, how am I getting across the river? Like, I build a raft. You build a raft, you cross the river, you cross this raft is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> this raft is amazing. You know, so you, then you build a backpack, you strap the raft to your back and you keep it with you. <laughs> For the rest of your life, you know, and it slows down your actual progress because you love, it's like that ayahuasca trip, that mushroom trip, that, you know, girlfriend breakup thing, you know, whatever it is that you're holding on to because it was so developmental for you. Yeah. You know, it's shedding that. Do you know, snakes do it every year. I don't actually know a lot about snakes, but I think it's, you know, maybe six months you know, but it's, you know, snake animals do this in nature where they yeah. shed their skin. They let go of the old stuff. Spring cleaning, you know, clean your house, throw your clothes away, you know, Absolutely. organize your room, get rid of the old crap that does not serve you anymore. You know, and all of a sudden it starts to, you know, clear out that clutter. I was reading this, um, it's the art of war, the war of art, the art of war, the art of war. No, the war of art, the war of art with Stephen Pressfield. And uh, one of the things that it, that it mentions, you know, it's like, you know, clean your, clean your, vacuum your carpet, you know, sweep up your floor so that the muse doesn't soil their dress. So the muse can enter the room and doesn't soil themselves. Maybe not soil themselves. <laughs> Mother Teresa right there. Unless you're into that, you know, but it's, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's like, I think it's really important that we look, you know, work from all angles with this. You know, you don't just, sometimes you don't need to go deeper. You're deep enough. You know, like you've already dug as deep as you can go. Maybe work the periphery a little bit, you know, organize your room, organize your relationships. Look at, look at all these different things. And that's one of the things that, you know, Ida Rolf, she's like, you know, the Rolfing structural integration, you know, she says, we work with the body because it's what we can get our hands on. You know, and so you input, the body is a reflection of what's happening at a deeper level. You know, everything, it's all integrated. It's all organized. So from my experience, you know, the, the way that I, the way that I move through the world, the car that I drive, the clothes that I wear, the, the people that I surround myself with, the music I listen to, it's all a reflection of what's happening at a deeper level. And you can start to play with these strings, Right, you know, and so I think that it just is like you know you're the ultra spiritual guy, so I'll let you. <laughs> I don't want to step on your toes, you know, but I, I think it's important to look multiple angles. Yeah, I agree. And borrowing a page out of Eckhart Tolle's dogma, uh, which I love his dogma. I'm actually pretty dogmatic about his dogma right. of be be present in the now. Which just because we say it, I guess that means it's automatically true. Yeah. But you know, genuinely doing our best to be 
in the now and when we're looking for strategies to help lower the veil, get us more connected to who we really are and the inner peace that follows, I think a good question to ask isn't so much what will work for me, but what will work for me right now? What serves me like super well right now? hopefully won't serve me a year from now. Right. Hopefully the, the growth and self-acceptance uh, we encounter uh, is deep enough that if we stick with that same strategy, well, that becomes a strategy that keeps us from going deeper. Right. It's kind of like, you know, in the movement world, if you have a person who, it's their first year in weightlifting, you know, what program, what movement exercise program is going to work really well for them yeah. Right now, right, right, right. it's going to be perfect for them. But next year, probably within a couple months at the latest, that program is not going to work well for them now. It worked f- well for them then. So, you know, I, I think all of us need a little bit of a Eckhart Tolle, Tolle doll, Tolle or Tolle, whatever. Everybody's uh, different. <laughs> say that again. I said everybody's got a different way of saying it. I say, exactly. to- I say Tolle because that yeah. sounds more French. It sounds more, a little bit more advanced yeah. for me. You know, rumor has it even he doesn't know how his name is pronounced. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a fact. <laughs> it's what they say. Yeah. Um, so the Eckhart Tolle doll on our shoulder can always be reminding us, you know, what we're looking for. Look for what will serve us right now and then let that raft go as soon as we're to the other side of where it can take us. Right. And one of the things you'd mentioned with what you're saying, one of the things that I've, I've heard you quote before is, is uh, words always speak louder than actions because actions don't have a voice. Exactly. You know, and I, I feel like that's poignant in this, this day and age to really just kind of marinate with that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. When you, when you get too far into actions, you're violating the law of attraction. Right. The law of attraction is based on thoughts and words, right. which, as you point out, are far more powerful than our actual actions. I mean, it's kind of like uh, people who watch The Secret. You know, for every 10 million people who watch The Secret, there's only like one person statistically that's gone through the actions of becoming a millionaire. Right. And that's bullcrap. Uh, the reason why they're the minority is because the majority, the other 900 or the other 9,999,999, whatever people, <laughs> they're the true millionaires because they're living the millionaire status through their thoughts and words, through their affirmations. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, if you want to take the easy way out and just do it through your actions, be my guest if you want to live a shallow existence. And so this is why what you do is red, you know, it, it, because it's like you're, you're, you're feeding the world a spoon instead of forcing in their face, you know, or you can't lead a horse to cabbage with honey or salt or there's a phrase that goes along with that, you know, and so it... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's you can't teach a horse how to fish. <laughs> I think it was something in relation to that, you know. But yeah. so it's interesting with, with this, you know, on on a, on a, on a real note, you know, it's like the secret. I think the secret's bullshit, but <laughs> <laughs> but there's bits of truth, yeah. you know, and the and the bits of truth are, you know, setting yourself up for success 
you know, from a, a mental perspective, you know, cognitively putting yourself in that position, you know, that when you, you do believe that you were successful, you do believe that you are whatever it is that you want to do, you know, or want to be, I want to be a world renowned, you know, spiritual leader or whatever it is, you know, that, which that's kind of like oxymoron almost of like, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but like, it's like, you know, I want to be this thing. If you mentally put yourself in that position, when the time comes to shake the, you know, the woman's hand that has the opportunity for you or whatever it is, you're already there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so when she doesn't see you and say like, you know, oh, this guy's not ready. You know, it's like, it's, it's like no, 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 I'm ready. I've been, I, you know, I have been practicing the secret for the last X amount of whatever time of I am stating in my mind, in my reality, in my, in my whole self that this is who I am. You know, and what that does is it, is, it, is it develops your ability to actually carpe the diem, you know, seize the opportunity. What the secret doesn't and why, why I make fun of the secret is it doesn't get into the actual work. It doesn't get into the put yourself in that situation. You got to go to that dinner party you might not want to go to. You got to do that public <laughs> speaking event that you might be too scared to do. You know, you need to actually put yourself out there. But combined with both those worlds, you can make some pretty fantastic progress. But yeah. it's not just one, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you can sit back in your armchair all day long going through it in your mind and actually experiencing some level of thrill off the dopamine release by just going there in your mind. And actually how that can work against you is if you experience enough thrill from the dopamine release by just thinking about it, just imagining it, then you lose the motivation to actually go to that meeting, actually do the public speaking, right. as you mentioned, if you actually want to put action behind the law of attraction, right. uh, you know, if, if that's how you roll. And right. in, in, in that same light, uh, I'll raise my hand and say, from my perspective today, I'm a little bit on my high horse that's at the pond to drink water <laughs> that it doesn't know how to fish at. Right. just drinks the water because it doesn't know how to fish. Right. Um, so here in my high horse... I do look at the secret, and I judge it to be bullshit, too. <laughs> I think it, it, it leverages, it glorifies the, the magical mind of the child, which is a very immature psych, uh, point of psychological development. We're meant to be there when we're children. And here I believe the, the secret, as it's portrayed through my understanding at least, it's glorifying this immature phase of psychological development as a very mature phase, Mm. Um, oddly enough, that's a step in the right direction. For some people, it was a good step in the right direction for me. And again, I might be delusional and just needing to be arrogant enough to think I'm beyond it. Uh, Yet there's a part of me, at least, who believes I sailed the secret raft to the other side, got off, pushed the raft back into the river and bowed down and said, thank you very much. Uh, You've served me well, raft. Now I've got to keep going on my journey rather than being limited by what was originally helpful for me. Right. Yeah, Noam, Noam Chomsky said something along the lines of, you know, he chooses optimism for the potential of development. And this isn't exactly what he said, but something along these lines. You know, it's like by, by maintaining that optimistic perspective, it gives you the delusion that you can. You know, it might not, you know, you know if you have that pessimistic perspective or outlook, you know, it's like, screw it. 
You know, it's not worth it. Like, I'm not going to get it. What's the point of starting? You know, so I think that yeah. there is magic in placebo. You know, there is magic in that, in that delusional belief that you can be the best in the world. You know, and like that gets into another kind of interesting question. Is, is there a degree of healthy narcissism or egotism? You know, because to say something like that, like, you know, I want to be the best Olympic skier in the world. That's narcissistic, I think. You know, it's like, is there, is there a degree of, of, can you wield these kind of, you know, like poo-poo adjectives? Can you, can you wield them in a healthy way? Or do you think that's, it's all selfless? That's the only path. Yeah. Uh, uh, the short answer is yes. I think that there is a very healthy function to them. And actually just living the path of self, uh, of selflessness, I think can be a very narcissistically motivated path. It's just, I'm so narcissistic about not wanting to appear to be a narcissist that I'm going to express my narcissism passively. So I compensate in the opposite direction, but it's a narcissistic based behavior. How good of a person am I that I give selflessly to everybody? By the way, please recognize that. Or I have so much need to not be recognized because that justifies my inner narcissist even more that I'll be anonymous. Either way, Um, yes, I think a degree of narcissism is very healthy and necessary in the proverbial first phase of life. It's all about building up a sense of self. And granted, it's a false sense of self. Yeah, we got that. It's building up a sense of ego, a sense of stability. This is who I am. And part of that is uh, we need to create a sense of I'm powerful and I matter. In narcissistic tendencies is part of how we do that. If we get stuck there forever, we're in trouble. The second phase of life, I believe, is all about shattering that sense of self that we built up in the first phase of life so that we can realize something beyond it. Right. Uh, and some of us try the spiritual bypassing, well, let me just try to go to that second phase of life, find my true self without going through the delusional ego nature of creating a sense of self. Well, you can try and bypass it. And uh, uh, I don't think that means we actually get beyond it. I think at most it means we think we get beyond it while we're stuck at the premature development of having not even grown into a sense of self. Um, So, yeah, that's a little my opinion. I kind of like the light side of narcissism. And certainly Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the clinical... Uh, diagnosable extreme behavior of the, you know, the clinical narcissist. I'm talking about the narcissistic behaviors and tendencies and thought patterns that we all have to a degree. It's just, are they expressed actively? You know, I'm the Donald Trump of the world or passively. I'm the person who hides. Right. Have you, and we're running out of time and I, I feel like I haven't really asked you anything about like you, you know, I, I'd, I'm curious if you had any, what's like the, the, the most challenging experience that you've had or, or time frame in your life that you've had and um, how did you overcome it? How are you currently working with it? Like what's your, your, your steps, your execution with working with those life's challenges? Yeah, yeah uh, there's so many. 
uh, and maybe I say that as a way of trying to escaping. Uh, <laughs> Escapist! <laughs> you know, um, it, two come to mind, and I'm narcissistic. I need to give you two because you only asked for one. Yeah, sure. uh, number one is uh, staying emotionally connected in relationships. You know, with my girlfriend, you know, past relationships too plural on past relationships. That's how big of a challenge it's been, many of them. It's very challenging for me to stay emotionally connected to my girlfriend and to myself and be emotionally available. I'm very good at wearing a facade of being emotionally connected and being calm and saying the right things and even talking about feelings that I'm not actually connected to. I've really learned and frighten myself a lot about, wow, I really wear a facade of having no facade on. That is just a confusing facade that I wear. Right. So, yeah, I, I've done a lot of work on it. I'm doing a lot of work on it. Looking into my crystal ball, I'm guessing I still have a lot of work to do on it. I think it's a journey for me. I, I doubt it's going to end. And it's a worthy journey. I grew up uh, my childhood emotional disconnection was kind of my method of survival. It was most compatible with my experience of my family. So now in life, I'm actually learning how to violate what helped me survive as a child, working on challenging myself beyond the unconscious emotional disconnection into conscious emotional connection and then a companion of that, here's my second uh, deal that I've been working on, and it's a challenge for me, and that is not using my work as a way of uh, finding my self-worth. You know, there's a part of me who just wants to work all the time because I've, whatever reason, I've been blessed uh, with the ability to uh, achieve pretty well in my work, uh, doing what I do with clients, making videos with a certain level of success. So it's very challenging for me to look at that and not get completely lost in building up a, a shallow, artificially flavored sense of self-worth from that, which ultimately disconnects me more from me. So part of my work is learning that it's okay for me to be JP, period. Yeah. It's okay for me to uh, be acceptable without trying to earn it. Right. Ironically, trying to earn acceptance from other people, also myself, is exactly what prevents me from receiving the acceptance of it. So big challenges there that I'm still working on. Awesome, man. Thanks so much, man. It's, all, it's really uh, pleasant getting to have you, man. It's really, really fun to get to chat with you. How do people find you? How do, again, have to check out the YouTube channel. I think it's fantastic. And, and your website, how do people contact you? Yeah, I think the best place to go, if you could only choose one, check out my YouTube channel, Awaken with JP. Subscribe. You'll be up to date on latest videos. Uh, and then you can also jump on my uh, website, innerawakeningsonline.com, uh, to see some of the uh, other things I have going on there. And, and Aaron, thank you so much for having me on, uh, letting me be a part of the great gift that you offer the world. I've had an absolute 
absolute blast with you. Uh, I like the fact that you're at least as weird as I think I am. So it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure hanging with you, my brother. <laughs> that was fun. And do you have any kind of like really spiritual closing ceremonies that you do with this kind of thing or just like a satnam namaste or what's, what's your, your preference of, of leaving this space? Yeah, I telepathically communicate Sanskrit. Mm. If you're if you're ultra spiritual, you'll hear it. If you don't hear it, you know you're not very spiritual. Uh, the cure for that syndrome is watch more of my ultra spiritual videos. Fantastic. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car and it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package i know you guys are going to love the website i know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it and i look forward to hearing your comments all right bye thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast if the information has been helpful please share and leave your comments in itunes aaron personally reads each one and all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.